The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Rogers News. Is Australia on the brink of economic and political upheaval? That's the question we'll be tackling in this week's Views Room. I'm Anthony Curry. The citizens of the land down under look set to go to the polls in the next couple of months to elect a new parliament, and most signs point to Labour ousting the current minority Liberal government. They do so with house prices falling and some economic indicators looking pretty grim. The banking sector has just been given a sharp rap across the knuckles, and to cap it all, Australia has just emerged from a record-setting heatwave. Two of our comrades are currently on a field trip to Australia's economic and financial centres and join us via Skype from Sydney. Clara Ferro, Marquez and Jeff Goldfarb, we bid you good day. Good morning. Good morning. So let's start with you, Clara. You and Jeff have chosen quite an eventful week to visit Australia. The government's just lost a, a vote on a piece of its own legislation, which I think is the first time in almost 80 years. And a judge has rejected an application for an open cast coal mine, which I think is another first. So... What do these two decisions, if anything, tell us about the state of play in Australia right now? What's the mood you're sensing, given this is happening? Well, look, we're really on the we're really at a at a, a turning point for for Australia politically, um, in terms of the economy as well. And then you mentioned some some regulatory issues as well. So if I take those in 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 turn, I mean, politically, uh, we are approaching an election which the current government is 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 not expected to win so there's a prospect of a change of government we're also coming out and last week was the uh, final report from the royal commission uh, on financial services which was really uh, ended a year of extremely painful testimony from the big four banks and many other financial uh, services companies here really a, a cathartic moment for, for the industry and we're dealing with the fallout of that um, and then economically australia is you know coming to the and possibly of almost uh, three decades of of, uh, of growth, of economic growth, you know, recession-free. Um, and that is, uh, people are just wondering what shape that will take. So we're really, yeah. on all three fronts, um, at a bit of an edge. And then you mentioned regulation. Um, that's changing on all fronts here, whether it's uh, antitrust regulation, the ACCC, um, much more aggressive than it has been in the past. Um, the court decision was indeed unexpected with the mining industry. It really... Um, as costs increase, that's just going to be just one more thing that they have to think about. Right. I mean, let, let's let's just do a quick drill down in, into the the politics. And you're right that that the, the economic boom in Australia has done remarkably well. I think it's a record for a Western country to go almost 28, 30 years. You were saying without a recession, even though they had to deal with uh, the fallout from the global financial crisis a decade ago, they weren't as badly impacted, but they had to do a fair degree of uh, of government stimulus to keep things going. Um, but, you know, this is a country that even d- despite having such a good track record economically, even in the past six years, well, let's let's say the government does change in two or three months time when the election happens. That'd be the sixth prime minister in six years. Is that right? I mean, it seems quite unstable politically, considering that it is, has economically been uh, quite stable. I mean, it, it, how does that play out down there, do you think? Why, why is that happening? Oh, it's a, it's, a, it's a funny thing in the sense that what we've, what we've kind of picked up here is that the economy has sort of um, continued to um, kind of move along in spite of um, the political instability you talk about. I mean, that sort of defies conventional wisdom in the sense that usually countries that have this kind of political instability are generally economically wobbly. Yeah. The fear, I think, here, uh, there's definitely a sense 
it's definitely not a bearish view, I would say, but there's definitely some caution um, that we've picked up in talking to folks is that, you know, a complacency has set in and there's this idea of, you know, it could be a bit like Italy and just keep changing government and everything or, or leader um, and that everything will be OK. And in fact, um, there is now some fear that, you know, you've seen housing prices come down uh, pretty amazingly um, in the last 18 months. Of course, you know, amazingly, you know, down 10 to 15 percent after an 80 percent run up over um, a very short period of time. Yeah. So you have to you have to kind of put it into perspective. But there definitely is um, a sense of, you know, worry. You just had the central bank kind of change its position rather abruptly. Um, you know, the rates are at one and a half percent, but rather they, they've changed their bias um, to neutral. And also, you've, you know, you've seen a tick down in GDP forecasts. Again, a company that's a country that's still growing rather robustly for a developed economy um, with, you know, with a relatively strong currency, an economy based on resources, which whose prices are still very strong. The other thing that looms in the background, not even domestic politics um, or economy is China's, right? Yeah. And China's economy is starting to to uh, to look a bit shaky in its own right. And this is a this is a country that over the last 30 years has become um, increasingly dependent um, with, you know, so going from something like a couple percentage points of exports 30 years ago to China to over like something like a third now. So, right. you know, that booms as a big, a big issue for, the, for Australia right now, too. Mm. And yet you're right. I mean, if you think about what Australia has come through, you know, the, the financial crisis and then you know, that the huge shift downward in, in commodities prices a few years ago before they recovered somewhat. And yet it's kept on going, I think, in part because as I remember when I was there years ago um, on holidays, five, six years ago, people were saying, OK, you know, we, we see lots of building. And you couldn't look around the skies of Melbourne or Sydney without seeing construction cranes everywhere. And it seemed almost like the construction had become the new way of keeping the economy going almost after the commodity cycle seemed to have come to an end. And now we're seeing, as you were saying, house prices dropping, granted, as you said, from a very big increase. But what is what is driving that? What, what, why, what is driving that now? Why are people starting to get worried? Is it, because, is it just the China slowdown or is it something else? Because I think the economy, you know, even though being commodities heavy from a, from a Western point of view, it's still 60, 65 percent services based, I think, as an economy. Um, well, you're asking us a couple of things there. I mean, if we if we take the, the sort of observation on the cranes, you're right. After the the crisis, a number of things helped the uh, Australian economy continue to defy gravity. And the first was the commodities boom, China's uh, big stimulus. Then it was the housing boom. And I guess the question now is whether infrastructure can be the third thing to hold up the economy. And that, that remains unclear. You know, will the government's push into infrastructure spending be enough? Can they afford enough? And the question is why the house prices have come off is a slightly different one. And I would probably put it just in the context of of supply and demand. So it, it shot up because really Australia did not have enough supply. The population here continues to grow at a decent clip, largely due to migration. So the supply wasn't sufficient. Supply has increased dramatically over the last few years. I think now they're building close to 200,000. So it's really, you know, you're at levels that we, we haven't ever seen. And on the demand side, because of China's capital controls, for example, that's really come off mm. quite significantly. So it's, it's a little bit of that. And moving to, to regulation, what, what do we want to read from this um, judge's decision a few days ago not to allow this mine to open, which again seemed to be quite unusual for Australia. But what are you being told about how to read into this? Well, look, I think it's it's really about the, the context uh, more broadly. I think that decision by and large and mining community here, they do expect it to be reversed. But it's really about 
this general trend of it just becoming more and more expensive to open mines and more and more expensive to open coal mines. So you are in this position where actually coal, the most hated of all the metals minerals, uh, is actually one of the most profitable. And the less people invest into it, the more, more profitable uh, it is. There right. is a one a regulatory crunch here. Um, that is one part of it. And I think things like the Vale Dam disaster are really only going to increase scrutiny. Um, the particular issues around this decision were, we mentioned climate change for the first time, so making it extremely, mm. extremely onerous. Okay, fair enough. Well, let, let's let's move on to the banking uh, issue. Now, as you mentioned, the Royal Commission came out uh, last week uh, after spending what was what you said a, a year looking into matters of, of of you know banks doing what we all think banks do, which is be crummy with their services. But what was it exactly that drove the commission to set up in the first place? What 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 was the the, the trigger point for those who haven't been following this? It, it's really been going for for quite some time. The increased scrutiny on the banks, and just to put it in context. You know, for people who don't follow Australia particularly closely, these are the world's most profitable banks, pretty much. You know, absolutely uh, incredible ROEs, um, incredible margins, um, and also uh, virtually an oligopoly. So big four banks control virtually 80% of of the market. So as the uh, the scrutiny has been tightening, there were increased calls for a royal commission, which is a quasi-judicial inquiry into the sector, extremely painful um, and very public. Uh, the current government had opposed it for quite some time, calling it whinging. Um, and so they look, uh, they, yeah, extremely sheepish mm. when the turned turned out so much uh, in the way of misdeeds and, and bad behavior. And it's really hard to to explain how much it grabbed people's attention here. I mean, it went on. I think the public um, the public hearings went on for the best part of of uh, nine to eleven months, and it included people fainting. Um, it was sort of this incredible um, show uh, that everyone became obsessed with. Yeah, people fainting, the dead being charged, um, weeping in the in the court. You know, really uh, it made stars of, of the people running the inquiry. Uh, and then I think you know we were here when the when the when the it was finally released the final recommendations um, from the commission, and it took up you know to give you context i mean it took up like the first 10 to 12 pages of the daily newspaper right. um, so people here were rather obsessed with it I, you know in the banking industry there was definitely a sigh of relief um, a that this thing is there's sort of a line drawn under it of course these recommendations now have to be taken up and um you know certain new rules implemented and changes will be made we also had the ceo and chairman of nab uh, one of the big four banks um resign on the recommendation of the commission in the, in the days that followed and you know, but you do have a sense of relief that a the recommendations were not as stern as some maybe had anticipated, and also just that this process now is finally you know coming to a close, and uh, the banks you know the banks are going to have a lot of work to do ahead of them. So what what so what are the recommendations then? I mean, I, I think as I remember reading, um, there are many of them, but but what are the main ones that are going to concern the banks? Well, there are about eighty recommendations, or seventy six specifically. Um, they deal with all kinds of issues, but mostly it's it's around fees, charging, and compensation. So you know how mortgage brokers charge the customers instead of being the customer, the bank that pays it becomes the customer that pays. It's really changing the model for mortgage broking. Um, it also forces um, clearer compensation. Um, I mean, it, what it hasn't done is really challenge the vertical integration, so that banks can sell their own products. 
that there was a concern that that would be challenged and for example that things like um, how a bank would assess you for a loan that that would change um, the household expenditure measure that that hasn't again um, uh, been challenged so really he did in the final report what he said he would do in the interim which is really concentrate on getting people to respect the laws that already exist and the one thing that was really unusual is they brought in an oversight council to look over the regulators actually probably the people who came out worse from the Royal Commission apart from perhaps AMP, who's the largest wealth manager down here in Australia, sort of teetering on the brink as a result of the Royal Commission, lost its entire management. Apart from them was the regulators, so um, the, the Prudential regulator and, uh, and ACRI, the corporate regulator. So they came out of this extremely poorly and now have to deal with regular capability reviews and with an oversight body, which is pretty unusual. But the, also the expectation, Anthony, I think, is that because the regulators got so whacked in this report, is that they're going to, as a result, they will get tougher. And, right. you know, so there's this anticipation around, you know, that, that the, assuming they can get their acts together, that, that you will see, you know, a tougher, you know, watchdog going forward. So that means any of the banks may have breathed a sigh of relief that the commission is over, but um, they're no, by no means out of the woods yet. I no, I think that's right. I mean, I think there's, you know, there, there will be some changes in the model. They're going to have to do some changes to culture. Um, there may be additional changes to leadership. Um, you know, there, there's just a, I, I think there's more to come. But as you know, with these things, once, you know, once, once the process is done, people kind of know now the framework that they're, that they're going to be working under. And I think that then everyone can kind of start marching towards that, um, which, which is, you know, after a year of kind of upheaval, um, you know, that, that's the sigh of relief. But then, you know, but then, of course, you know, as we talked about earlier, there's there's this high likelihood, it seems, that you're going to have a change of government. Right. And and that and that's that may bring further change um, on top of it for the banks. All right. Um, Jeff and Clara, thanks so much for coming on uh, the show from Down Under. And uh, do enjoy the rest of your time down there. Thanks for coming on. Thank you. Thanks very much. That's our show for this week. We extend our gratitude, as always, to our producers, Freddie Joyner and Andrew D'Antonio. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. Check us out every day at breakingviews.com. Subscribe to The Views Room on iTunes. And please do share your opinions about our show. Join us next week for another edition.